Hello, in today's show, solutions to child labour in Cambodia, where one teenager has a dream. Over in Tokyo, UN Health Agency Chief Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus wishes the Olympic Games well, but reminds us that COVID-19 is racing ahead, not least in Africa. Also in the news, the High Commissioner for Human Rights issues an alert about the apparent widespread use of spy software. All this and more in this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva, with me, Daniel Johnson, and Solange Behotegui-Cortez. Thanks for listening. Let's start with the news. In Tokyo, the head of the UN World Health Organization, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, has welcomed the Olympic and Paralympic Games as a chance to spread hope to the world. More than any other event, the Games have the power to bring the world together, to inspire, to show what is possible, Tedros told the International Olympic Committee ahead of the start of the event on Friday. He warned, however, that the world was now in the early stages of another wave of infections and deaths and he urged all countries to embark on a massive global push to vaccinate at least 10% of their populations by September. The global failure to share vaccines, tests and treatments, including oxygen, is fueling a two-track pandemic. The haves are opening up, while the have-nots are locking down. This is not just a moral outrage. It's also epidemiologically and economically self-defeating. The longer this discrepancy persists, the longer the pandemic will drag on, and so will the social and economic turmoil it brings. Today, 75% of vaccines have been administered in just 10 countries, Tedros said, while in low-income countries, only 1% of people have received at least one dose. The development comes as the WHO reported a 12% increase in global new cases last week compared with the previous seven days. Staying with COVID-19, nearly seven in ten African countries are not on course to reach the 10% COVID-19 vaccination target by the end of September, a senior official from the World Health Organization, WHO, said on Thursday. WHO Regional Director for Africa, Dr Machidi Semweti, also warned that Africa's third wave of surging coronavirus infections was absolutely not over. Many countries were still at peak risk, Dr Moeti said, adding that this week's Eid celebrations may result in a rise in cases. Latest data from the UN Health Agency indicates a small drop in infections in Africa after an eight-week surge, but this is only because of a sharp decrease in South Africa, which accounts for the bulk of the continent's reported cases. More than 20 African countries have seen cases rise by more than 20% for at least two weeks in a row, and the Delta variant has been found in 26 nations on the the continent. Finally, UN Human Rights Chief Michelle Bachelet has spoken out against the apparent widespread use of Pegasus spy software to undermine journalists, activists and politicians. Its illegal use was extremely alarming and confirmed some of the worst fears surrounding the potential abuse of such technology, the High Commissioner said on Monday in response to leaked details about Pegasus. An investigation into the Pegasus data leak by a group of media organisations suggested widespread use of the software, which the manufacturers have insisted is only intended to target criminals and terrorists. Journalists and human rights defenders play an indispensable role in our societies, and when they are silenced, we all suffer, said the High Commissioner, who issued a reminder to all states that surveillance measures can only be justified in narrowly defined circumstances when necessary and proportionate to a legitimate goal. The headlines there, and this is UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. Now to this week's interview, which takes us to northeast Cambodia's inland fishing waters. 
Fisheries are the backbone of the economy, but the 4.8 million people who live in Tonle Sap Lake are some of the poorest in Asia. Many families send their children to work on the water rather than to school in order to survive. But the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, FAO, is working with the government and partners to get youngsters back into class. Charlotte Lomas has more. It's low tide at Cambodia's Tonle Sap, Southeast Asia's largest freshwater lake. Fishing boats return to the docks while children play on the mudflats. Their joyful cries are a stark contrast to Tom Sarum's childhood. In my childhood, I helped my mother make steamed rice cakes to sell, says the 41-year-old crouching as she skewers small fish. For as long as Sarum can remember, work has been a part of her life. I needed to wake up very early in the morning. I rode a boat from one village to the next to sell the cakes. After her father passed away, Sarum had to support her mother. That was why I quit school. Sarum's story is not uncommon. 19% of Cambodian children aged 5 to 17 work, most in agriculture, especially fisheries. Fishing and rice cultivation are the backbone of the country's economy. They're integral to Cambodian cultural identity and food security. While Tonle Sap Lake contributes over half of the country's fish production, its 4.8 million residents are some of Asia's poorest. Many face extreme poverty and parents have no choice but to send their children to work, explains Wan Ton from the Commune Committee for Women and Children. In the past 10 to 15 years, there has been a lot of child labour in the community. They always bring their children fishing with them and they use their children to work for others to get extra income for their family. While it's legal in Cambodia for children aged 15 to 17 to work, what's not legal is when that work violates their rights. Child labour is defined as work that is inappropriate for a child's age if it affects or interferes with a child's education or if it is likely to harm their health and safety. That's child labour expert Ariane Janton from the Food and Agriculture Organisation of the United Nations, FAO. She says that when children miss out on an education, they miss out on so much more. Child labour hinders children from reaching their full potential and their future chance of getting decent employment. Child labour perpetuates a cycle of rural poverty. That's why FAO is working closely with the Cambodian government and partner organisations to address the root causes of child labour. This includes developing awareness-raising materials and visual tools to promote gender equity and protect children from hazardous work in fisheries. FAO also provides trainings to fisheries associations in helping identify and prevent child labour. Chum Chun took part in a training on child labour prevention. As chief of the Community Fisheries Committee, he travels to fishing villages in Kampong Chenang province to raise awareness about child labour. 
Today he's organized a community meeting in Konlang Pe village. I visited some families and explained to each family about child labour to make it clear to them. Fishing villages are often isolated with limited access to schools and transportation. As a result, many adult fisherfolk are illiterate and face poverty. Chun's mission is to encourage them to send their children to school. He explains to them how the community stands to benefit as well. Suppose we can eliminate child labour in the community. In that case, our community gets many advantages. Why? Once enough children are going back to school, then there are resources in the community. Early morning in Konlangpe village. Only fisher folk and a chorus of cicadas are awake at this hour. Sarum's daughter, Cham Kunsi, sits cross-legged in the dark, concentrated by her book, which she reads under torchlight. Normally, the teenager would be getting up at this hour to go fishing with her father, but these days she wakes up early to study. Every day, I get up at 5 o'clock, read a little, and get ready to go to school at 6 o'clock. Thanks to joint efforts by FAO and the Cambodian government, Kumsia is enrolled in school instead of child labour. Every day, she rides a motorbike to school. It takes an hour. At 7 a.m., I arrive at school. I leave school at 10 o'clock. I arrive home at 11 o'clock. I have lunch, and then I go fishing with my dad. She helps her dad catch real fish used to make brohok, a salty fermented fish paste commonly used in Cambodian cuisine. When I go fishing, I throw gill nets. I release the fish from the gill nets and I take off the scales or the fish's skin. Then she helps her mother clean and prepare the fish to either smoke or sell. I'm back home at 5 in the evening. I help my mother peel the remaining fish until it's done at around 6 or 7. These days, just catching enough fish for dinner can be a challenge, as fish numbers in Tonle Sap Lake continue to decline. Even more reason for children like Kim Siet to get an education. If my daughter could pass her grade 12, I would be very excited. Sarum wants her daughter to have the opportunities that she never had. I do not want my children to be illiterate like me. Fighting child labour through education helps break the cycle of poverty. It keeps children safe and teaches them new skills to find jobs that earn a more stable income. Kumsiad performs well at school, and although she still works for her family, she attends class regularly, thanks to the full support of her parents. Her dream is to one day become a teacher in her own community. I want to be a teacher in the village because there is always a shortage of teachers. If there is a teacher in a village, it is easy to educate children and allow them to acquire knowledge. Which just goes to show that fighting child labour through education really does benefit everyone. 
Charlotte Lomas from the Food and Agriculture Organization there, and teenage student Cham Hintzia, who's wise beyond her years. Joining me now is regular guest Solange Berhotege-Cortez for some closing thoughts. Hi, Solange. Hola, Daniel. Listening to Chum Hintzia there, I was struck by how fragile her dream is to become a teacher, but also at the same time how motivated she must be to get up at 5am to study before that long journey to school on a motorbike. I really hope Chum Hintzia can fulfil her dream of becoming a teacher in her community. But she faces a great challenge just being a child. What does Chum's future look like? In The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway, a young boy looks after the old man and will become an old fisherman just like him, unless, like other young people, he goes to the city in search of better opportunities. But Daniel, cities are not the answer necessarily. Felipe Quispe was a strong indigenous leader in La Paz, Bolivia. Once, a journalist asked him why he wanted to run in politics. He replied, so that my daughter will not be your domestic worker. Quispe was referring to a sad reality that persists today. In La Paz, I saw many mothers coming from rural areas begging my great towns to place their daughters as domestic workers with their friends. They had only one hope, that in exchange for their work, they could be allowed to go to the school. These girls were between 9 and 12. They held on to the dream that if they studied, they would have a future with more opportunities. If not, they would be destined to remain a domestic worker, suffering discrimination, racism, and mistreatment. There must be time to play. Children need to be children, just children, unless we want armies of boats with old men like Hemingway's old man and the boy that looks after him. Thank you, Solange, for sharing your memories from Bolivia. A tough subject and one that has got worse during COVID. According to the International Labour Organization, the number of children in child labour has increased to 160 million. Nine million more youngsters are at risk of being pushed into work by the end of next year because of the pandemic. And this could rise to 46 million unless governments can step in. On a more positive note, the Food and Agriculture Organization and other UN agencies are fighting child labour through education, identifying the use of child labour in the economy, presenting these findings to the authorities and pushing for reforms to national laws and regulations that govern children everywhere, including, happily, small fishing organisations in Cambodia. That's all we have time for, so thank you listeners for taking an interest in what the United Nations is up to. We do love hearing from you, so please drop us a line on UN Geneva's Facebook page, Twitter or Instagram accounts. We hope you enjoyed the show and can join us next time. Bye-bye for now. Ciao, Daniel, y gracias a todos y nos vemos la próxima semana.